You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology, hosted by Numerical. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we shed light and bring truth to emerging topics in the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Anise Jaffer. Hi, everyone. I'm Anise Jaffer, Chief Product Officer for Numerical. Although we had hopes of covering what it takes to authenticate in one podcast session, we quickly realized during last episode that this was a two-part series. So we connect, we covered the origination side of what it takes to authenticate last time. And today we will cover the termination side, including display to subscribers. Before we get started, Rebecca, would you provide a recap of the origination side as it relates to authentication? Good idea, Anise. And I promise not to rehash the definition of authentication or any other word, at least not in today's episode. But I make no promises of the future. I love words, so I'm bound to explore definitions again. But for the sake of today's talk, I'll recap for understanding of the work occurring on the origination side, which feeds into the terminating side. So first and foremost, the originating service provider must establish a local policy for how they will attest to the authenticity of the calls originating on their network. Now, this will be achieved through policy and procedures with the help of identity management tools if needed. The indicator in Shaken that relays this authenticity is through the attest claim, which can be one of the following three values, A, B, or C, as defined in the ADA standard. We also learned an originating service provider's reputation is dependent upon how rigorous a local policy they implement when making the claim of A, meaning the identity of the caller and authorization for use of the TN can be proven. So we concluded part one, what it takes to authenticate, exploring the challenges related to the gap between the originating service provider and the identity of the caller due to the presence of call centers, BPOs, and communication platform providers. Several options were discussed, each with their respective pros and cons, Expectation is the industry will probably land with one or maybe possible multiple solutions. With the success of authentication at origination, we concluded on the possibilities of adding rich call data to enhance the experience for the called party on the terminating side, should the terminating carrier trust the information provided at origination. Thus bringing us to part two of today's Tuesday Talks what it takes to authenticate termination and green check mark. Anise, where should we start on the termination side? Can we go straight to display or is there a layer of complexity for validation we need to explore before the terminating carrier makes the final decision of display green check mark or not? Well, to understand what happens at call termination, let's first talk about the various components involved. First, you have the terminating network. This is the service provider where the call is actually terminated. Then you have the user device, which is where the call lands. However, you can also have another component used by the terminating service provider for call validation. This is the analytic service that some providers use. So in Strashaken, when the terminating network receives the call, they would first verify the signature received as part of the SIP header. 
This verification service would determine whether the call received is from a trusted source or not. We talked about attestation flags last time. So the attestation flag sent by the originating network will, will be used by the terminating side to determine whether the call can be authenticated, right? So the, assuming the call is authenticated, the verification service then would update a parameter, what's called as a Verstat parameter. If the call is authenticated, the Verstat parameter would be updated as TN validation passed. If the call is not authenticated, then the terminating service provider would set it TN validation failed. In this case, they can also block the call. So you mentioned various components, all right, are involved. And that last one you mentioned was call validation. I've actually heard this referred to as CVT or call validation treatment. Would you explain that portion just a little bit further? Correct. CVT is nothing but the uh, analytics service that service providers can use, and it's an optional service. CVT, as you said, stands for call validation treatment. After the carrier verifies the result, uh, from the SIP header. The CVT uses analytics and reputation data sources to determine if a number is fraudulent or spam. This information is then used as an overlay on the user device to show if a call is labeled as spam, scam, nuisance likely, etc. These are all the results of the analytics. This could either be a carrier application service that's drawn as part of the verification we talked about earlier, or it can be implemented as a third-party solution. For instance, all the US carriers, the major carriers in the US use third-party analytics for call labeling. Okay, so at this point, you've established the validation process of the authenticated call in the terminating carrier network. And I would say we all should accept and acknowledge that analytics will continue to exist post or shaken adoption. And, and really all of this is contributing to the efforts of preventing calls from terminating on the uh, subscriber's device that's fraudulent, you know, right? So we already see this today. So, you know, with regards to the display, wh where do we go with the green check mark? Where does this fit in? Right, so we talked about call carrier verification. We talked about analytics. The green check mark is actually on the user equipment or the end device, right? Let's say the call terminates at the network level Verification is, is done by the verification service. TN validation is passed. The Verstat parameter is set as validation passed. At this point, CVT does its check. And let's say the number is determined as not scam or spam. So at this point, the CVT can pass this information to the user device or an app running on the user device, which can then display a check mark, typically a green check, or it could be uh, a character V. This really depends on the user equipment. In the case of smartphones, you can display the check mark, but in case of de devices with uh, limited capabilities that display text only, a simple indicator like a letter V can be used. For instance, recently Comcast announced uh, a rollout of Strashaken across their Xfinity voice over IP network, and they leveraged both for displays that were capable of displaying green check, they did that, and for uh, character or display limited devices, they displayed a letter V. So speaking of Xfinity, uh, we led a proof of concept to test delegate certificates with Comcast, who was serving as the terminating provider and Twilio as the originating provider. So through our identity management platform, we were actually able to verify the identity, authorization for use of TNs, 
and elevate this information to Twilio via a delegate certificate provided by NetNumber. So the thing about Comcast and why they seem to be progressing very quickly on the display side of termination is their control of the display on the TV and you know their mobile service. So is the display dependent upon the user and end equipment? Yes, uh, and that's a very important layer that influences how the calls are displayed on a device. Assuming verification passes, CVT checks, and calls actually land, the app running on the device can layer its data on top. It could be a green check mark, like we talked about, or it could be a CNAM lookup where it can pull the caller name, or it could look at its own data source for logo and call reason and display that number uh, for that number and display that. There are several apps that do this today, and usually they use preloaded data either from an internal database or by connecting to a third party data source and they match the number to the corresponding name, logo, and the call reason, and they overlay that information on the device. Today, typically it's caller name, but more and more we are seeing rich call data and logos showing up. But doesn't the rich call data provide information such as logo and call reason as part of the stir shaken certificate? Like, you know, what we discussed about delegated certificates. Yeah, well, there is a way to pass RCD over SIP uh, as part of the SIP header an originating service provider can add an RCD claim. And when that information is received at terminating, uh, so by the terminating service provider, they can choose to display this information on the device. However, this is not part of the base or shaken specification, right? And the original this originating service provider does not have to do this. Uh, the delegated search specification allows RCD to be added uh, to, the, to the header, however, Adoption is still early. Uh, we have to get through the stir shaken implementation first to take full advantage of RCD claims on the SIP header. Right. And I think it's safe to say that the terminating service providers are probably thinking more about what do I have to do to achieve the June 30, 2021 deadline of just, right. just get it implemented. RCD is that wonderful, nice to have. So, you know, it really does seem like there's definitely a lot of work, you know, yet to be done for the rich call display, but Anise, I'm already seeing solutions on the market to deliver this data. So can you explain how this is happening without stir shaken fully deployed? Good question. Uh, you're right. Um, the stir shaken implementation is ongoing. In the meantime, there are some other solutions that have sprung up. Uh, these are essentially using the data network to transmit rich call data to the user device by bypassing the communication network. These are called out-of-band solutions. Uh, for example, Google introduced Google Verified Calls, which kind of works this way. Okay, so out-of-band, uh, I guess that means out of the telecom band. So what exactly is this and how does it work? So in an out-of-band model, the originating enterprise and its information such as uh, business name, logo, the numbers they're using and the reason for those calls are all registered ahead of time with the service. Then when the business originates the call, uh, they can attach the uh, from number and the to number to the service right before the call is made. So they have to do this right before the call because this information is short-lived and it is only alive for a few minutes. And you have to do this for every call that a business makes. 
So as the service knows, uh, when I just say the service, the out-of-band service knows that the business originating the call has been pre-verified, the number has been associated. So they can then push the data to the specific device that is the business is trying to connect to. So in the case of Google, they can push this information to a specific Google device. And as soon as the call lands on the device, Google can overlay the logo and call reason when the call rings at the, at the user device. Since the data is sent outside the call path, not using the communication network, but it essentially uses the data network, it's called out of band. So that's going to raise some uh, interesting concerns for me with regards to if it's outside of the communication network, then are, are they outside of the standard? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a tricky question to answer. It's outside the ATAS stir shaken standard, but they're part of an stir IET of stir standard called stir out of band. So it's not something that's completely out of standard specification. In fact, uh, even in the case of stir shaken, there are networks that are not fully SIP enabled and this method can be used to pass data. Surprisingly, uh, there are a lot of networks that are still TDM based. And since they cannot handle SIP headers, one proposal that has been presented is to send this information, the stir shaken information using the data network or basically an out of band solution. Interesting. So Anise, I really want to thank you for taking the lead on answering all my questions. Normally, uh, you're asking me some questions, but uh, you're the one that's living in this space more than me at this point. So you were, you were perfect to uh, field the questions. So it was great to hear your perspectives. And really what I'm kind of taking away from this is there's a massive amount of effort uh, that has to go into authenticating a call. There are efforts on the originating side that we covered in our last talk with regards to the local policy and the um, onerouses on the originating service provider to really implement the heart of the Trace Act, which is let's keep the bad guys off the network. So it starts at origination and all the work and effort that it goes in there. Then once you do originate your call traffic, the terminating side now has to update their network to validate the information that's coming into the network to make a decision. And I kind of view this more of like plan B for, hey, plan A is let's make sure that the originating carrier has a local policy that prevents bad network from getting on the network. But if they don't have that implemented and the traffic is traversing across their network and it gets all the way down to the terminating side, then the terminating carriers have to implement their own procedures. More than just passing along the uh, header information, that's why we still see CVT being a part of the terminating carrier side, because they have a responsibility to protect their subscribers from fraudulent uh, calls. So while I'm hopeful <laughs> for a June 30th, 2021 deadline, um, I don't believe that we're gonna see an environment where authentication from origination to termination exists uh, throughout the network. It's going to be a mix. Um, and uh, I think we're just going to have to, you know, continue to watch uh, the progression of where this goes and how the industry responds, especially it seems like the terminating carrier side has a lot of control over what eventually gets displayed, no matter what you do on the origination side. Do you have any right. final thoughts on that, Anise, before we uh, close out our topic here? Right. As you said, um, at the end of the day, the call gets terminated uh, and the user device has to display the information. Uh, you can you can add the information at origination, but then it needs to get transported first to the terminating service provider. And then they have to figure out how to 
send this data to the end device. So, and, and then we have this added complexity of multiple service providers that are not SIP enabled. There are several uh, TDM based networks. So how do you uh, pass the information um, through, through their network and a calls don't go on a single hop. It, there are multiple hops that, that happen before the call actually goes from origination all the way down to termination. So there is also this added layer where you should be able to send data. So I think you know it, it is going to be evolving the space. Um, the first step is to implement Strashaken, uh, get as many carriers as possible, as networks as possible to handle that. And then over a period of time, then we'll be able to add rich call data. In the meanwhile, devices also need to have the capability to, to display the information and how they do that. So that is also evolving. So we saw Google doing something um, that could be similar things done by Apple. We don't know at this point. So it's, uh, it's interesting. We'll, we'll have to watch and uh, see how this evolves. All right, so now let's turn our attention to any audience questions. Molly, if you can help field. Absolutely. So we have a really good three-part question here. So I'll go through all three quickly and then maybe we kind of take it piece by piece. So uh, this question is um, about the use of stir shaken for presenting the verified check mark. So part one, do you know what percentage of major providers are using the stir shaking outcome to display a check mark? Two, of those, what percent display the check mark in real time before the caller answers versus AT&T iPhone approach where the check mark seems to be available only in the call log post call? And then three, what percent of providers are requiring A, attestation to get a check mark versus a B being good enough? I'm going to say, um, yeah, we would love to know too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the real answer. That's the honest answer here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, to the points that we covered with uh, earlier in our talk with regards to um, the terminating side and the efforts, to be honest with you, if I was a terminating carrier, the display aspect would not be the top of my priority. My top priority would be making sure that I can comply with the uh, June deadline. And that's just, just get get the system implemented, right? You don't have to display anything just yet. You don't, you don't have to go to that level um, with, with regards to the green check mark. However, um, with regards to green check marks used, yes, um, they are being used. It's very simple to do. It was one of the first ones with in your own network, right? If I'm T-Mobile and T-Mobile gave me a device, I went in, they verified my identity. They also proved that I have the authorization to use the phone number associated with me. That's why when I call my kids, the green check mark displays and my kids won't answer because it's validated it's mom, which is usually I want them to do something, right? So that's already existing today. So, so the, the technology exists. What we've been discussing this whole time for, gosh, I don't know, over a year is how do we get that information down to the enterprise? Because we still have the same thing. You have to verify the identity and authorization for the TN. It's really challenging to do for enterprises. So, so the system's set up and ready for that. It's just how do we get that verification down with that A-level for enterprise calls? Anise, I'll let you, you add some more to that. No, I think you, you kind of uh, covered it. Um, with regards to the specificity of the question about what percentage, uh, right now, I think everybody is trying to implement this. We really do not know um, how many are actually doing this. 
Uh, but what we have seen is, uh, as you mentioned, if it's uh, if it's the same network, whether it's T-Mobile within T-Mobile or Verizon, they're doing it. Uh, across networks, there are some interconnects that are being tested. But I think part of the challenge is the calls don't go all over uh, networks. So sometimes they hop over uh, networks that don't support this. And because of that, it's kind of, um, let's say not fully uh, implemented, right? Um, and we, you know, we do have, uh, uh, I know that bandwidth was working with, with Comcast and there were other providers that were working in, as interconnects to get this tested and implemented. Um, but as a, as a percentage wise across the industry right now, at least we don't have the stats. Um, well, hopefully we'll, we'll get to know soon. And I think uh, we do have a session coming up. Uh, we'll have uh, we'll have a special guest who would address some of these questions. So this is a question I'm going to take it for that session. So yes, with regards to the the display, it really comes down to an iPhone versus an Android. It's not necessarily necessarily carrier specific. Um, iPhone controls the world, so they control the device, and they don't allow for the real time display. But you can go through your call log. However helpful that is to a subscriber, I don't think that it is. Um, you kind of need to know the validation at the time of call so that you can make an informed decision of whether or not you want to answer the call. Um, but we'll have to wait and see if iPhone will ever allow that to be in real time. I think the carriers are working with them to get to that point, but that is a challenge. So again, here we have all this work and effort on the originating side, the terminating carriers implement it, and then guess what? The device goes, nah, I don't want you to display it. So that's a challenge. All right, Molly, any more? Uh, let's take one that was uh, pre asked pre the session. So this one is, how do you ensure your caller IDs aren't flagged and stir shaken? Ooh. All right. To ensure that your calls are not flagged and stir shaken um, because analytics will continue to exist on the terminating side because it will be part of the robocall mitigation plan for a terminating carrier. It's smart that they do that. Um, that means you still have to register your numbers, and that is outside of Stir Shaken. Uh, numerical, that's one of the things that we offer. Um, there are other providers that do the same, but you cannot get away from the registration aspect um, because, really, to be honest with you, what, what we're doing here is it's a creating a connection between who's the one that's vetting and validating who these, this entity is and the authorization for the TNs. And it creates a really tight link connection between the, the analytics and the one who's doing the registration. So that elevates the level of trust. This is really all a trust issue here uh, on the network. So until we get to that point of where maybe delegated certificates is seen to be viewed as a trust such as registration, I think it's gonna take a while. Um, for you to be able to back away from the registration aspect. So that, that's my recommendation based on where we are today. Right, to add to that, um, so we have, uh, as part of Stir Shaken, you would have verification, which is done, right? To verify the, the actual um, header. And then you have the validation treatment, which is the analytics. So it's it, both are done together. The first part is verification. Once verification is done, which basically is a binary output saying that whether the call can be trusted or not. And then after that, the analytics uh, is going to determine whether that call is a spam or not, right? If you, if you have to look at it that way. So you could still have a call that got authenticated but could be labeled as spam. So it could still get flagged as spam even though the call is authentic or it originated from a service provider that has already verified the customer 
it could still happen that when the call actually lands on the device, it could be labeled as spam example. And Anissa, I mean, that's that's one of my <laughs> big soapboxes that I like to get on uh, with regards to the unwanted, which essentially means spam. Um, that's just never going to go away. Uh, basically, what the federal government is telling the industry is that some subscribers just straight up don't like your calls. They don't want your calls. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a legal company and you're, you're following all the rules. Um, this is going to hurt uh, campaigns, uh, political campaigns, charities. Um, it can hurt some aggressive uh, marketing tactics from right. legal businesses. Um, they know their names. Uh, so you're just not gonna be able to get around it because not only, and this is part of why on the uh, FCC's robocall strike force, I was sitting in the empowering consumer choice. That's exactly, that's exactly what got deployed. Empowering consumer choice. The fraudulent is not the consumer choice side. It's the unwanted. That's the consumer choice side. And the consumer can now say, I don't want your call. I don't, you know, this is an unwanted call. Now, unfortunately, um, I wish this would have stayed within the realm of the TCPA consent. And I don't mean to put on my regulator hat here, but um, that's the consent between the one who's delivering the call and the one who's receiving it. It really should have stayed with them going, well, hey, uh, you know, business A, I don't want you to call me anymore. So just remove your consent and then we don't have this problem. But for some reason, um, it's too difficult for subscribers to opt out of some communication. So for those who maybe perhaps ignore the opt-out request, they continue to send these deliveries, uh, these calls. Now the consumer is equipped with the power in their hand to go spam. And then right. now that affects all your calls, not just the one that didn't like your call. That's the yeah. challenge. <laughs> because the analytics use that as part of their data uh, to determine whether a call is spam or not. So they use user provided feedback. So even if, you know, if, if a bunch of users are tagging as unwanted, then that's going to get into as part of, uh, of, uh, of their algorithm. And then that's going to flag the call as spam or unwanted. Well, we are at time. So thanks everyone for joining us today on another episode of Tuesday Talks. We'll see you again on Tuesday, April 6th, where we will be discussing stir shake in progress from the service provider perspective. And we hope to see you there.